0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lameron. Okay, this week we're talking to the guitarist and co-founder of really one of the biggest rock bands of the 80s, right? Survivor. It's Frankie Sullivan. I think most people know Frankie was the co-writer on almost all of their songs, if not all of them. For instance, this one right here, of course, the immortal Eye of the Tiger. And then there's all the ballads and the hits like The Search is Over and High on You and Is This Love and Caught in the Game and all that stuff. Now, Frankie, had, for years, does has not done a lot of interviews, but luckily, he sat down with us. And he and I had a really good rapport. I really enjoyed talking with him. And so we hear the stories behind almost all of the hits, and, and including the full story of Eye of the Tiger. I know he's told that story a lot, but I, I really feel like we get some new angles on this that haven't really been discussed a lot before. He knew, and we have had, obviously, Ron Nevison, their former producer on the show. So he talks a lot about what it was like working with Ron. And he feels very strongly, and he's right, that the Scotty brothers, who were putting out, uh, working closely with Sylvester Stallone, putting out the soundtracks to his movies and everything back then, deserve a lot of the credit for the success of Eye of the Tiger and a lot of the other rock that was made back then. And I believe that's true, too. Everybody loves those Rocky IV soundtracks and Over the Top and all that kind of stuff. So much of that had to do with Sly's relationship to the Scotty brothers and what came out of it. And we've had many people on this show who have said other said the same thing. And so anyway, it's really good to get to know Frankie. We find out what the monetary... You know, it's like winning the lottery. We had Frankie Previtt on here who wrote, uh, I've Had the Time of My Life. And Martin Page, who's written... Uh, We built a city and Kimberly Rue who wrote Walking on Sunshine. These guys don't go into these things thinking they're going to write an eternal hit. It just happens. It's like winning the lottery. It really is. You never know. So anyway, we get into all these things, all the stories and really why they don't all come together. Jim, Jimmy Jameson is no longer here, obviously, as everyone knows, but Dave Bickler is. And Jim Peterick's out there, too. So why do they not come together? We get into all of it. Anyway, I think you're going to enjoy this. I hope you did. I enjoyed doing it. It really took me by surprise. So anyway, Frankie called me from his home in Chicago. I There is something that I have always, always wanted to know, and that is... Let's talk about the song High On You for a minute. I love this song, The song was big when I was a kid. I want to know why, in the first verse, he's telling him about the girl he met last night. The second verse is the girl he had last night. And the third verse is back to the girl he met last night. What is that all about? Is that like an Easter egg? Is that a little joke? What's the story there?
1: Quite honestly, I don't, I don't think there isn't a story. I think mm. that, well, first I should tell you, that could be, because it's so... That and Is This Love are so poppy,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, in a way that they could be some of my favorite songs that I've co-written or written. But I think at that time it was, well, let's try and be clever, which is so anti-John Lennon. I would never do that again. But there's a little twist to that. I think it's... I always say, John, lyrics are... They're, they're, they're for those who listen to them, make what they want. But it's funny you picked up on it, and I'm going to be direct. I think that we were trying... Or one of us, or both. I can't really recall, but I think there were times that you, when you kind of over scrutinize lyrics or overwrite, mm-hmm. you try to get clever,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: it's usually not for me personally. It's a it's a horrible avenue to go down.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I mean, sometimes the listeners pick up on that. You caught it in a different way, but some c- c- time people like it. So you'll say that again. So the first verse.
0: Yeah, the first he verse, her Jimmy person he, he
1: wanted her again. Yeah. Isn't that the essential isn't that the essential thing with between men with between us and chicks, especially the back <laughs> then? It's like, okay, <laughs> I want her, I had her, now I want her again.
0: Yeah, so, yeah. No, it's yeah. just kind of provocative because in the first you know, Jimmy says, Let me tell you about the girl I met last night. Great. And then the second one he sneaks in, Let me tell you about the girl I had last night Which makes yeah, you think that yeah. he nailed you know, he got it. He went he hooked up with the girl he met the night before, but then in the third verse he goes back to meeting. So I wondered if he met another girl, and this is like you know Jimmy's a he's a player. He's getting ladies left and right, and this is the story. So anyway, I've just always yeah. wondered what the deal with that was.
1: I think I think that we were pr- we were trying to be clever. I think Jimmy just sang the vocals that we put in front of him, just okay. sang the crap out of him, performed yeah. it. But I think we were trying to be clever in a okay. non-clever way. But then in the way it worked out. He wanted her, he had her. You wanted her again. Yeah. That? That's right. It's quintessential. What goes on between young men and women? Of course, it is.
0: That's what it's all about. Yeah, that's it. Okay. I've always wondered what the what the intention with that was. Now you mentioned, "Is this love?" That's my favorite song of the Jimmy era. I was going to say this for later, but you mentioned it. Tell me about the creation of that song. I love that song.
1: You know, I, I don't listen to my music much. If I hear it on the radio, I do. But this, this love has always been. And, you know, I'm like a guitar player. So you think I'm going to go for something like Everlasting. Mm-hmm. It's always been my favorite song. I think it's the way it was written, what was going on. And I know my life at the time because what, that was 84, so I had the tiger under my belt, and then we're on the road a lot, so there's a lot of chicks around. <laughs> there was a lot of confusion in, in, in life at the time. I mean, you're enjoying the ride, but there are certain times, certain people you meet that raise those questions, and we all have that, those kind of questions, but that is my favorite song. It just yeah. kind of flowed that way. You know what I like most about that song? <clears throat> What? Jimmy Jameson's, Jimmy Jameson's performance.
0: Oh, uh, he's the best.
1: There's a very interesting story about that, which ties into Ron Nevison. I know you've interviewed Ron. I have. Another one, one of my, my absolute hands-down favorite record producers, anyone I've worked with or know of or spoken to. By then, I was kind of co-producing the records oh, with him. Interesting. So I was doing the lead, I did the lead vocals of a few songs and I would send them up send them up to Ron and that one I think Ron always knew the virtue of what's the most important track meaning not that they all are but what do you spend the most time on mm-hmm. you know what do you go after Ron has this gut of just knowing mm-hmm. what to do how to do it and when to do it
0: mm-hmm. Yeah so he was a on... lead vocal Oh sorry go ahead
1: He's amazing I recorded the lead vocal on it, and I sent it up to the house, and a couple of me let get by. That one, he said, no. He rang me, and he said, I have to come up to the studio. You know, Ron wasn't much. He was living in Malibu, so he wasn't much on coming up to the studio on a Saturday, and it was a Saturday.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he came up, and he couldn't. He knew when he heard it, but, you know, he came up, and he was playing around, hmm, What wonder if it's a microphone. Hmm. Jimmy sing a little bit okay it sounded fabulous not the mic I wonder if it's the limiters he's playing around and kind of watching him and he goes Jim sing a little bit of the song you know that's a two-take vocal I think he got most of it in one take this is Ron and then maybe he had him yeah I think he had him sing the second verse over and a line in the bridge and maybe flew those in you know punched him in he Hmm. said to me I know what's wrong what is it, Ron? Yeah." When somebody goes out there to sing, you gotta let them perform. Mm. And I hooked on it right away. He goes, You can't listen to the mouths in the room. You have to. Ron was famous for, You guys should get the fuck out of the room. And not in an offensive way. You know, Ron's was the. When you disturb Ron's energy, you're disturbing the best of what he can mm. give you and offer you and help you with. So, yeah. yeah, he came in and recorded the same microphone in the same exact spot and the same song and got a totally different version. Mm. That's when I learned about, that's when I learned about two things. Most importantly, especially with J-Mo, I call him J-Mo, Jimmy. Mm. You, and any great singer, you got to let those guys sing. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to let them perform. And if there's a, a little pitchy thing or something's out of time, forget Block out the ears and mouths in the room and just say, I don't care because as soon as you go fooling around with that, you start punching words and mm-hmm. you lose that whole performance.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And when, ever since that day because I was in the room and he said, let's do this bridge. That bridge that he sang one time floored me. It was so good. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, I get it, Ron.
2: Yeah.
1: So the moral yeah. of the story is, you know, I was nowhere near ready for what I thought I was, but <laughs> I was ready to learn
0: I'm yes. yeah. a master
1: and they can't really pass that stuff down. That's yeah. a, that's a talent that so many artists have struggled with. Okay. Now I'm going to produce. It's really, really hard to mm-hmm. clone a Ron Edison. So, oh. but you can learn from, them. you can learn what not to do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Don't listen. Don't fool around. It's a little pitchy, but like answer my prayer. It's a little bit out of time. Mm. You listen to that. What is that? Mean streets, uh, why Natalie's What a Currency of Love Changes Hands on.
2: Mm-hmm. That's
1: the next part of that bridge. Oh. Um... I need to know that there's something that answer my prayer. I used to be yes. It was supposed yes. to be answer my prayer. Right, right in time, which is how I cut it. It's a little bit out of time, but it's such a badass performance. Yes. Tim, the other Jim Peter, he was always, well, it's out of time. And, you know, it's kind of, I did it, but it's always better for Ron to say yeah, whatever, zip Mm -hmm. it, you know, Mm -hmm. because Ron wouldn't change that stuff, Mm -hmm. and I did. And when I changed it, I totally got off track. I started paying attention to the pitch, the phrasing, oh, is it right on? Well, sometimes the beauty is let him perform.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. I put on a Bad Company record. I put on a Bad Company record, Ron, and I said, if I was recording Paul Rogers, what would I do other than hit record and say, he's amazing, (laughs) Right? That's true. Because Ron had worked with all those people. So I kind of was young enough to to make the mistake and then into it enough to say, I'm not going to do that again.
0: Yeah. yeah. Ron was on fire. That is a great. Oh, he's so good. He's so good. And he and and I talked about you guys when I had him on the show because he was perfect for you right then. You guys were finding Mm -hmm. this. After the Dave Bickler period, which was great too, there was, you guys embraced, and I'm, I'm imagining Ron helped you do this, Embrace this sound that was such a, a cool mixture of synths and heavy guitar. And yes, that was the sound of the time, but Ron helped you guys sound better than all the other bands that were doing similar things. I think that's why you guys had the success you had. You were doing that better than anyone else. And that's what Ron was so good at in the '80s with Heart and Starship and all those bands, you know. I don't
1: know that Ron really ever, really, truly made a bad record. No. I think that artists, I think artists getting even getting in Ron's literally his peripheral vision will distract him.
2: Mm. And I
1: was always then I became very pro Ron and protective Ron, let him do his thing because I went through my phase of. Well, I think I can do what Ron can. Well, no, you can't. Mm-hmm. Learn that. And mm-hmm. I went through my phase of, okay, let's everybody leave and let Ron mix. Let Ron, because getting in their way is not the way to get the best out of people.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: But yeah, he helped us. He honed yeah. it.
0: He, he honed great. it with us. Yeah, he was great. Okay, let's talk about Tiger. He still he, is.
1: I can't imagine Ron not
0: being great. Oh, I know. I know. I always think about these. I talk to a lot of great producers that had, you know, so much success in the seventies, eighties, nineties or whatever. And it's yeah, sad yeah. to me in some ways because someone like you, you not in this current climate, but you can go out there and you can tour as survivor and keep making a living. But these guys, they require, I mean, they were in the era of big budgets, making big you know, money, making big albums that doesn't exist anymore. And it's a shame You're because not... people like Ron are, he's a genius but is his, he's not being utilized in the same way that he deserves to be you know
1: you, you and I absolutely agree on Ron. and then I would elaborate on it and I could another time i can only tell you that i met with all, a lot of other record producers mm. including uh robert motlang i always now i always deferred to ron mm. now, i didn't like Ron streamlines everything. He gets to the heart of the matter. You know, what's the core of the song? What can I do to it to make it better? You know, and you know what? And it's no holds bar. He kind of has this vision. So I think for a while, we just kind of followed. And then I became, you know, first I was like, well, I can do that. Which, you know, that's youth. That's <laughs> the beauty of youth. Right. Learning what you can't do. That's the beauty of it. And then being ridiculously protective of Ron. Mm -hmm. And I went back, I chased Ron after the, you know, I was very young in my early twenties on the first record. So when Ron quit, I always kept a relationship with him. I went chasing Ron to do uh, vital signs. Yeah, The record company was fighting with our manager. Oh no, he's, he's no longer doing it. You know, Ron was up in Sausalito then. He's got a bad reputation. whatever they said, I said, I don't care. He's the best. And I years. believed it at the
2: time. Yeah. Yeah.
1: On that bioscience record, and then we can move on. I can tell you I have never worked with a producer. By the way, they take it for granted. He is an amazing engineer. So you get hmm. you get a big bang for the big bucks. Hmm. Put it to you that way.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, he doesn't have an engineer. He knows how to do it all. So it's yeah. like, get out of my way. And he just but he never loses vision of the song.
2: No.
1: So it's an true. amazing channel. But I was fighting with the president. Not I was. Our manager arguing with the president of Columbia. No, no. We're going to use him. Hmm. And I can't tell you. I never saw somebody. He didn't get the big bucks going and liking one of you the know, other. I never saw anybody work so hard on a record hmm. than Ron Nevison did on Bioscience.
0: Well, and you were proven right. I mean, that hunch is right. You guys became huge. I think so yeah well you okay. know we
1: didn't stop using ron ron passed on doing too hot to sleep
0: yeah i have a lot of I questions about up, that album. Said, go ahead so keep going well i am i'm curious because you know at that point uh when seconds count which i love that album too after that tastes are changing culture's changing no band stays yes. at the top forever And here is another album that you guys come back with and it's good. It's harder. There's less emphasis on this, on the ballads and on the synths than there were before, but it's still a good record. But by then tastes had changed. How were you feeling as this new album that you feel really good about is not getting the accept being accepted the way that the other stuff had been.
1: I think as an artist, there's disappointment, but I think if you're realistic and, you kind of take a look at it. Also have to be able to accept it because things were changing. It's a great record here. When, when it got done, I rang Ron up from our manager's office. He says, oh, bring it up to the house. I went up to the house. He loved the record. Mm-hmm. He went into Frank Filippetti, who was the engineer, co-producer of the record. He went to, and Ron's not usually like this. He was working at Right Track. Mm-hmm. He went to the Studio B, which was Filipetti's room, and he's just, introduced himself and shook his hand. He said, that's a great record. And that's not really something he normally does. But Ron's reasoning, I don't think was so much about us and songs and what we were able to do. I think it was at that time, there was a lot of changing going on. There's a lot of politics within the band. And I think we we're paying, he may have said this to me, I think we we're paying Ron a fortune to be a buffer. And Ron's a great buffer, but that's not why you hire him yeah you know it it may be a part of it but it can't be the sole reason yeah so i think by that time it was more like well ron will be he's amazing he's also this is like maybe equal he's also the best buffer we can have well he passed yeah
2: yeah yeah
0: yeah that's a shame and that be and that then too hot to sleep becomes the last album for a long time why i mean i've heard i've heard all kinds of things and um we don't have to get into the weeds for too long, but can you summarize for us? Why did everything basically come to an end right then?
2: Well,
1: it's pretty simple. You know, Jimmy like, wanted to go off and do his own project, which people were doing it. Steve Perry had done it mm-hmm. by then. So that was always, I think, a thing like, like Jimmy's, um, They're gonna or Lou Graham had done it too, so there's mm-hmm. two guys. Perfect. So they're, yep. they're going to go off and do that. But I think it's a matter of timing. So then you have the management, and our manager, he just recently retired, had a ridiculously terrific career. He's a great manager. I think there was a big difference, rub about the timing with Jimmy, and then Jimmy was Jamo. I'm going to call him Jamo. Jamo was looking for a different manager to represent himself. So that's another rub. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think he finally said, Look, I'm going to come in. And you can have a couple weeks and I'm going to sing the songs and I'm going to leave because he was working on his own project, mm-hmm. which I totally understood. But I will tell you this. I absolutely said, Jim, JMO, this, Jim, this is the bad timing. Don't do it yet.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Wait a while. Mm-hmm. So, but then again, maybe at the time, um, I think I did, but you don't really respect the hindsight's a beautiful gift. Isn't it?
2: Yeah. It Too is. bad we
1: don't have like. Like more foresight rather than hindsight, and no, so you know, in a rearview mirror, I don't do it. But
2: yeah. you
1: know, we if there was a, if there's a ticket to go back in time, I would be first in line. But the yeah. beauty is, you have to learn from it. But it was a question of timing. Now, when you get those rubs going on, different managers, different goals, mm-hmm. different yeah. needs, um, different wants. I think that it just leads to what it leads to. Yeah. And it's yeah. not bad necessarily, but it's it is what it is. Yeah. People get older, and they have different. They want to do different things, and if you got a voice like Jamie, of course you're gonna to want to go do your own project. Right. Which I I think at one time I said, look, it, I'll help you I'll plan. I'll do whatever you want. Not now. It's the wrong time. Mm-hmm. But see, that as is me. You know, we live in. It's free will. Yeah. And we live in a free country, and I always said, well, okay. That's what he wanted to do, but Jamal got, he got a bit of an attitude about it. He says, I'm going to give you a couple of weeks to do the vocals, yeah. which by the way, he sang in them like 10 days. He's a, he's a, he was an amazing singer. Right. Right. Okay. All from 80, from 83 through the uh, to two uh, out to sleep. You really can't fault his... Voice, yeah. the sound of it, his performances, his look is that you know, you just really yeah. can't. But I think that he was also being pulled into a lot of different directions. Yeah, and yeah, Steve you're Perry right. He had years, mm-hmm. Steve Perry and Lou Graham had years of huge success under their belts. Mm-hmm. And then they went off and what Steve did the Street Talk record, which I always thought was a great record. It is. I, I love the backing vocals on that record. Mm-hmm. But you know he went waited a long time, so he had they had a little bit more experience. and I right. always thought maybe if JaMO would have waited, and that's a big maybe mm-hmm. um, things would have been different. so when start he to develop
0: when he struck out to do that solo album was the intention to kind of like with Steve and Lou to do something to just see where to get it kind of out of its system and then return back to survivor you know full commitment, or was it one foot out the door, possibly. Like, if this thing takes off, I don't need Survivor anymore, you know?
1: I really wouldn't know how to answer that for JMO, mm-hmm. for, for other than to tell you, I don't think that it was a one foot out the door. Okay. I think one, one foot out the door comes from a, of a bad attitude kind of yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. I think it was just, I want to do my own thing. And, yeah. you know, you get enough resistance, you or me, and you're going to go, fuck you, I'm doing my own thing. <laughs> You know, right. not that he said that, but it's a general yeah. human nature.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I never got that way. vibe. Yeah, I never got that vibe from him. But when you were telling me about it, I thought, well, maybe. Maybe he was, you know, looking for a way out. j Mo's
1: very, very good with, with the press and people. And you, you, it's hard to, you really got to get to know him to pick up on his vibe. Okay. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. no, I never got the vibe, this is one foot out. Goodbye. Uh, I just uh, got the vibe. Okay. These guys, and I knew him.
2: Yeah. Like,
1: okay. T. Perry record. Yeah. I said, okay. So he wants to go do that too. I get that, but I just yeah. felt like maybe one more record.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Probably just to establish for sure, a stronger foundation for J- for Jimmy to jump off of, you know? Yeah. I agree. For all, for yeah. all of us. True. Good point. Yep. And
1: then we would have been really ready for a break. You yeah. Know what I mean, you do another record you go on the road. So let's fast forward. Let's say it's a two years later. Well, then everybody's ready for a break. Go do something else, please. Yeah. You know, maybe more than one person does it, but yeah. he had such a terrific voice.
0: Yeah, he did. Um,
1: um, he could have did so much.
0: Yeah. I want Let's get back to Jimmy in a minute because uh, I want to ask you about vital signs while we were sort of there. You and Jim Peterick are such a potent songwriting team, and I am curious about how you go about writing music. But when I look back at Vital Signs, almost half that album are songs, I believe, just written by you. I don't think they're you and Jim together. Do I have that right?
1: Well, you know what? No. I um, look at it like this. For okay. a couple guys guys that, that wrote together for 20-some years, Factor that in, that doesn't happen long. No. And then a couple of guys are, are as different as night and day, which I always respected because mm-hmm. I always felt that our differences made us really good co-writers together.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, I went out and wrote with a lot of other people, and I never got the same vibe as I did when Jim and I wrote. Mm-hmm. And I think he he did too, because we both went and wrote with other people, but it was never quite the same.
2: Yeah.
1: I think that I never cared I didn't pay attention to credits that much. Mm-hmm. Um, I paid attention to what I got refocused on and what mattered most and that what my manager and what my producer would tell me. Pay attention to the music and the songs and mm-hmm. performances and outcome and everything else is just politics that'll fall into place. And I was more focused on that, but I'm pretty protective about it. What Jim and I wrote together. You, know, you have twenty some years. I don't know, there's probably a thousand songs or more. We wrote every day. Not because we had to, because we wanted to. For years.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think we that speaks in volume. Well, you know, can here, I'll give you a great example. Do The entire vital science record was done. Completed. They're breaking down the drums moving the stuff out of the studio, we're going to get ready to go from the record plant in Los Angeles up to the record plant in Sausalito. And I was fooling around on the guitar I started playing at the beginning of Can't Hold Back, sort of, and I fell into it. And...
3: There's a story in my eyes Turn the pages of desire Now it's time to trade those dreams For the rush of passion's fire I can feel you tremble when we touch And I feel the hand of fate Reaching out to both of us I've been holding
1: This is the usual. What is that? Yeah, I looked to my right. There's Jim. We both had these. these <laughs> I still have them. I'm sure it does. These handheld Sony recorders that have the best condenser mics. You could set them up in a band with mm-hmm. them. So it's like, oh, you don't have to do anything. So
2: mm-hmm. what
1: is that? And there he is recording it. He said, I don't know. And then we'll keep going. So then we kind of slid into the beavers and Ron caught on to it. And he came out and stopped everyone from breaking down. And then we got to a point. He says, Okay. Hang on now. What? You guys come in early tomorrow and finish the song. In the meantime, he reset the drums up. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he did all of it. That, no, this is, this is like uh, people on, uh, that's focused where they're sort of on a mission. Mm-hmm. Let's say in Ron's case, Foresight. So reset the drums back up. That's hard enough. Get everything ready. Then we, Jim and I come in early the next day. I think we were there at 10. The session was 1. 130 kind of casual say too. So we went in and wrote the lyrics and we cut can't hold back and then quit. Mm. So we were ready to go up to finish vital signs without cut one side one. And I think one of the, one of my favorite, one of the better best survivor tracks is I can't hold back. Well, take I can't hold back off of vital signs. It's a different record.
0: Very. Oh, good point. Yes.
1: So it was, we had, we didn't have an ink clean of that song. Okay, let's go do our overdubs and sauce for a few months. We're done. We felt we had it at the beginning of that, that guitar part and then going into the beavers and Jim there with the recorder. See him and I had that yin yang going on. Yeah. What is that? I don't know, I like it. Me too. Keep going. So <laughs> then the next morning you come in and we both have our notes, lyrics we're writing and you know, Ron recognized that. So he would say, like he said, be there in the morning. And we were cutting that track by one. I think we were done by four o'clock.
0: Wow. Wow. So and it didn't exist people, the day before.
1: Isn't that crazy? No, no. There would be a vital signs without. Yes. Look at vital signs and take I Can't Hold Back off the record. It's cut totally one different. side one. It, it was our first release. I think it was, remember AOR Radio? So Chacho yeah. number one on AOR Without that song, it's a com- Completely different
0: landscape. Totally, it is. But, oh.
1: but there's a lot of wheels that work in that. Yeah. There's a lot of cogs in the wheel. Yeah, yeah, but you have to have a guy at the helm that can see that. And then you have to have two guys that can mm-hmm. get together and be able to accomplish it.
0: And Capitalize. put it on,
1: into a song. Yeah. 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 We love it. the song. We love yeah. the song.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. What a great story. And you
1: know what else, dude? It also had this newness to it. The other songs were all rehearsed. We did our pre-production. Ron would come oh. into Chicago sometimes, or there. we'd go there for a couple weeks. So we had, it, it, it was this newness. And yeah. I can remember even figuring out, there's a weird, where that third Beaver's comes in. You normally would just go right to the course and we kind of couldn't figure out what went into the Beaver's and Ron's in the control and that's it. So we just kind of, it was a newness to it and kind of, mm finding the right our way through it that made it so nice i think that nuna sparkles on that
0: track not over rehearsed it's fresh it's in the moment yeah i get it totally in the moment yeah well thank you good okay let's talk about tiger and let me i'm you i'm sure you've talked about it a million times i'm hoping to take some different angles but one thing i have to tell you my youngest son eddie is eight years old and Eye of the Tiger has been his favorite song his entire life. And when I told That's him lovely. that I was going to be talking with you, he got really excited. And um, I <laughs> really? asked him if there was anything that he wanted me to ask you. And little eight-year-old Eddie t- tells me that his favorite part of the song is the intro, your guitar building in the intro. So he wanted to know, how did you come up with that?
1: Well, you know, you I get, you get – with Tiger, you got to tip your hat a lot to Sly Stallone mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because he didn't tell us, but having that movie in hand and script in hand and then looking at it and what can we put in here that's different and then picking up on the tension mm-hmm. at the beginning and the actual fight scene and that beginning was more or less a play on those, the punches he was throwing. In mm-hmm. Back to the point to where Sly Stallone went in and did some re-edits on his film. And then I went in the studio and did even more so we could line up those bump, bump, bump to the, with the um, punches he threw. The thing was, how do we get to, to, how do we build this dynamically with like moving, something that's tension, mm-hmm. but it feels good. And we put a backwards piano and a cymbal crash. That's what goes.
2: No way.
1: Zzz. We recorded a piano backwards and a cymbal crash. And then it just went dirt. And all of a sudden it was wide open.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we're thinking, something's gotta go in here. And I think we're just playing around and it needs something to chugs. It needed something mm-hmm. to take away from the dun dun dun, Cause you have a lot of movement going on. I think it was, was a fade. We looked at it more like, this is a pulse. You know, you could do this with a synth, but everyone does that. You could do this with a sequencer; they were big back then. Everybody does that. We did it with a guitar, yeah, and it worked. Yeah, yeah. It was something that's to it. keep it flowing. It was like it was something to keep that that heartbeat going, and then you can build all those punches that bump, bump, bump around it. But that bigger did That's kind of the heartbeat of that tune, especially yeah. in the beginning.
0: Mm-hmm. It is. It
1: helps build the tension.
0: Yeah. One thing I've always been curious about is if that, mo- if that song had not been selected for that movie, do you think that it would have ended up on the next Survivor record? Did you have enough faith or excitement about that song that it would have lived somewhere had it not been accepted for Rocky Three?
1: Gee, that's, a, that's an unusual question. Hmm. I never looked at that before. Probably not. Really? In fact, well, ever since the world began was our hands down. We cut two tracks for him. Mm. Tiger and then ever since the world began because he also wanted a, a, a credit roll, a ballad, mm. Mm. which, by the way, he did end up using at the end of Waka
3: I'll never know what brought me here As if somebody led my hand It seems I hardly had to steer My course was planned
1: So I can remember, I think the Outlaws were in the other studio and Freddie Salem, the guitar player, was a good friend of mine, Susan. I think he said, I caught myself. I just remember when he came in, I said, well, this first song, this is kind of movie music. I played him Tiger, so, you know, there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shows you what I, what I know. <laughs> and then I said, but now this one's really good. There you go two strikes, don't make a third, right? (laughs) But isn't that, well, but sometimes we have to look at things like it's not a weakness. Sometimes that's the the beauty of it all is not really knowing Mm
2: -hmm.
1: until you're in it. And it is once Stallone liked it and he wanted more of the music and speed it up and slow down to certain workouts, tunes, and then he wanted it. He wanted that thing ripping in the Mm -hmm. movie. And and the track that's in the movie is actually the demo. Mm. Well, I didn't it's want just... anything de- more. It's okay. the demo, which yeah. I loved. I loved. It's a little bit of a different mix. The kick drum's hotter. The bass is a little hotter. It's a little bit uh, punchier. It's a little, little bit raw. Yeah, so, you know, he didn't want to even move, deal with it. And we didn't have the time, so we just I, we just used the demo.
0: That's why I remember
1: the guy, some of the guys telling me, or Jim, but it's the demo. And I'm like, yeah, well, Souls can't get enough of your love. I always seem to have some kind of reference. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I said, but it's what the star likes. And it's great. It works in with the film. But we should record it for real. I never, I think that's where the division in my left and right side of my brain would kind of play with me at times. I never bought into, what do you mean, demoing? I never really got into that because some of my best work came in the form of demos
0: yeah i could see and that. i
1: don't like chasing a demo you ruin the song
2: mm-hmm. yeah
1: you know you get this great demo and you chase the demo why do that yeah and tiger no totally didn't get it
0: that's interesting totally. i liked it uh uh-huh.
1: i liked it but i felt like this is song this is a great song but This is a song for Rocky three, which is amazing. But like I said to my friend of the outlaws, well, this first song, it's really movie music. And I don't really know what I even meant to this day. I think it's early on and maybe if you heard Tiger without being part of Rocky three, it may have, of course it would have a different effect on you, but I wasn't, I knew it was great, but I didn't, nobody can predict what happened with
0: that. No, no.
1: Maybe Sly Stallone.
0: Yeah, he felt, it, he, able to? he had a great ear for those, for the songs Mark in his movies, Robert Tepper's No Easy Way Out, and uh, John Cafferty, and <laughs> in fact, I Tepper, know that, Tepper's, I love Tepper, I've had him on here a couple of times, I love him, well that was my favorite guy. song, me too, yes, <laughs>
1: I said and, one time, that should, listen, I said one time to somebody at the Scotties that should be the first release. But it's Burning Heart. I know, but this is really fucking good. Yes. So Burning Heart. I know it is, but isn't it nice to be that big of a fan of a song and how it works? And then that Joe Chiccarella was like doing such great work. It's just a kick ass
0: track. I listen to it
1: once in a while to this day.
0: Me too. Me too. It's the best. Yep. He got kind of hosed on all that. But one thing I was going to tell you was that he got (laughs) hosed. Like, I know Joe Esposito, when Sly was looking for, was kind of put the feelers out for songs for Rocky III, Joe Esposito brought in You're the Best. You're the best around, which eventually ended up in Karate Kid. I think there's a John G. Avildsen connection there. That's probably why. And you guys had Moment of Truth in Karate Kid. And I'm just wondering, like, if you, that's why I asked the question about placement of the song. Let's say that Sly decides he wants to go with Joe's You're the Best Around. Does then Eye of the Tiger get bumped to Rocky Four or Lock Up or Karate Kid no, or Over the Top no. or something else, you know?
1: You know what? I, can, I don't speak for anyone else, but I could know once Sly heard that song. That was it. And did whatever he did. He wasn't going to budge. Yeah. And I was, we were trying to find out what, what's going on with it. Because, you know, back then it was a different business. Hollywood was much different. I mean, Sly still got unbelievable power. Back then he was a real powerhouse. Mm-hmm. And a cool guy and a great guy to work with who also has the attitude, which is makes him, he's a survivor in that business. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he was really wise. It wasn't going anywhere. I called up his brother. Mm. I called up Frank Stallone. Who well, I go back to nineteen eighty three with after the People's Choice Award. I heard somebody calling my name and it was him and we've been friends ever since. And I and I made a pact with him that night. I think it was five in the morning and dropped me back at the hotel. I said, The only way you and I can ever carry on this kind of friendship, this bond is we don't talk about your brother unless you bring it up. Which by the way, he never still brings up maybe once in a while, wow. because you could say, Hey, give this to your brother. Hey, can you, you know, and you hear enough of that when you mm-hmm. hang around with a Stallone, Hey, say hi to Sly. So, you know, you hear enough of that. So mm-hmm. I'd finally broke it. And I said, listen, I'm going to break this pack for a minute. What's going on? You know, anything with Tiger? And I think he told me last time I know my brother was banging his head to it. He loves it. It's not going to go anywhere. It's in mm-hmm. the film. So I think I already had heard that, but I think okay. I just wanted another kind of shot in the arm vote of confidence. But I have to tell you something. They hmm. don't get enough credit. You know who deserves the credit for all of this? Tony and Ben Scotty.
0: Good point. Yes. Nobody
1: talks about him. No, no, no. More than a good without Tony, this is all out the window. Yeah. Because him and Sly Stone, two Italian, great friends. Tony's oh, got the record company. Sly's got the film company, and I used to go into their during the first record into the lounge and down the halls at Scotty Brothers Records. Mm-hmm. They had all Stallone posters from the movies. so I always knew that they were more than just friends. They're really good mm-hmm. friends. But mm-hmm. it's a two. It started with the two guys. I think they were out at a at an Italian restaurant, and I think Tony Scotty was, Sly was talking about the music, and he didn't want to release the film yet because. He didn't quite feel it all the way, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Think about that for having a gut. And Tony, mm-hmm. being a friend but a really good businessman, well, you know that band I have, Survivor, maybe, maybe this is something that they can get involved with. You know, they don't get enough credit because without Tony and Ben Sky, there would be not only no, no Eye of the Tiger, I don't know how far we
0: would have went. Yeah, I agree. That's so interesting you say that. And they get no that.
1: credit. They get no, and it drives me. I read the most, I read so much bullshit. Mm -hmm. Sensationalism about about the eye of the tiger and how it was written. It's all out the window bullshit. It's a simple, yeah, it's always is. People want to embellish the stories. People want to add their ego to the stories. It's really not about us until it comes to us just being two guys that write. I think we wrote really good together and then two friends and one of them, Tony Scotty, and and Ben, they were terrific to this band. They supported this band after they spent what 700 some thousand dollars of 1979, 1980 money on a record that sold nothing. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Yeah. We went back in and did Premonition and they gave us wasn't much 75,000 to do the record. I think we'd make another record because that kind of money in 1980, seven, eight hundred thousand, that's a fortune. Yeah. Yeah. But they believed in us enough, so we did the premonition record and it made enough noise where they stuck with us. That's Connie is a really, really good businessman, Ben, and and they're really good guys. They are. At the end of the day, they got <laughs> I started giving them to them because it aggravated me. Mm-hmm. Without them, none of this happens.
0: I believe Zero. It. It's interesting you say that because I have that in my notes, actually, that my assumption all along, well, my assumption has been, I, I know that the Scotty brothers and Sly were friends. So it's not, that's where, that's the like you Still were saying, are. that's the connective tissue. This happens for you because Sly and Scotty's are buddies. And, and uh, they, they are, the, that's the bridge that allows this to happen for you is being on Scotty Brothers Records back then.
1: Absolutely, hands down. And, you know, you would remember Ben Scotty Promotions, he was also the number one independent promotion radio company. Everything he touched, Olivia Newton-John, everything he touched went to number one, Ben. He really had the business down. He only got behind artists he believed in. But, you know, Ben got hired a lot. Ben Sky Promotions to work a lot of other people's records that went to number one, so that was also part of that combination, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it gets overlooked. Yeah, it shouldn't, because that's the shoe, not the tie. That that's what did it. That's what made it happen.
0: Good point. Yeah. Um. Let me ask. Let's talk about the Oscars for a minute. Why? No offense to the Temptations, who are probably the greatest R&B male R&B act ever. Why you did they, they sing? Did long <laughs> They're the best. Well, the, the best temps there's are ever amazing. Been.
1: Come on. You're you're talking about the Temps, man. I know. They're the best.
0: They are the best. Why are they singing Eye of the Tiger at the Oscars? Did people just not, the producers, not think that Survivor was, were they, uh, you guys were too rocking? What, what was it?
1: Yeah, back then it wasn't quite in vogue yet. And then again, TV wasn't really ready for rock and roll, much less the Oscars. Mm-hmm. And. Mm-hmm. Again, our manager said, I don't think television is a good forum yet mm. to go play on the Oscars live. And, you mm. know, I didn't really know, but I deferred to him, and I knew once I got there, this would be really awkward mm. for a rock and roll band to go up on stage and play. Now, you may say, well, why did they do it all the time? Well, they didn't back then. Mm. Nobody did.
2: Yeah, true.
1: So I, would th- I didn't know what they were going to do, but so they elected to do the temps, which it's kind of a trip because, you know, the Tumps were the Kings. They started all that. I still listen to them.
0: Me too. Love them. They're the best. So
1: ever. is it the best choice? Well, you know, you and I can go on about that. Probably not. But then what other option
0: is there? Mm-hmm.
1: For us mm-hmm. to do it, I think, would have been not unwise. It would not have been wise to do that. Mm-hmm. Not at that time.
0: Yeah. No. You know, now you Queen can light. open the Oscars and the, and it rocks and it's perfect. But back then, you guys opening it, maybe that just would have been too much. And cultures it changed. would have
1: been too much. Yeah, it's it the it way changed. Back then, you didn't have the lights. You didn't. It takes away the lights, the darkness, the mystique,
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: everything back then. It takes away everything that's rock and roll about a band, and it exposes everything that's not because you're playing under basically fluorescent lights. Mm-hmm. You know, nowadays you can go on there with a full production and do whatever you want. Back then, it was not involved yet. Yeah. People weren't doing it. Yeah. So I think it was a good choice. Yeah. Those okay. are things you defer to your manager for. Good
0: point. Good point. And I yeah. think
1: I think he made the right choice.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. I want to talk about caught in the game because. After the success of Eye of the Tiger, and that album sells a couple million copies, Caught in the Game comes out. It should have been capitalizing on the success, but it doesn't. And I have to tell you, Caught in the Game, the song, is my very favorite Survivor song. Overall. Tell me about the creation of that song, number cool one. That. Yeah, that's my favorite one. Tell me about the creation of that song, and then tell me if you guys were, you know, were you feeling it? Were you hurting? What, did it bother you at all when this album, at the, at, you know, it should have been at your peak, doesn't do what you think it's going to do?
1: I think back then, and I'm going to, I will take a stand for, for our band. We weren't much like us. I think back then bands looked for any reason <laughs> to feel that way when things <laughs> didn't go the way you know what they supposedly planned you know fingers up in the air whatever that means i think bands and then some bands actually developed a pattern of well, let's just go there you know i i wasn't really want to look to blame people mm. that track i think that record is a really good record
0: yeah yeah
1: you know and the song itself you know if you want to know how it's written we were Mark, the drummer, Mark Dubay,
0: mm-hmm.
2: he
1: had moved back. I met him in, geez, it was 75, maybe, mm-hmm. when I was in this band called Mariah. We were playing all the county, uh, all of the clubs down in Orange County, which was considered, what the hell are you doing way down there back then? <laughs> and there was a band that would play shows called the Toots Band. Mm-hmm. Two amazing guitar players, a killer guy on a B3. They were really, really, really good. And they had this drummer that every night I'd go, what? The guy played his ass off. i go watch him. What was Mark. Mm. So I used to jam with them and I used to go sit in with them. I kept going, this drummer, something about him. There was like a connection with the way he played. So fast forward, he came, once he got into the band, he moved back to Chicago for a couple of years. And he used to call me once in a while, let's go out and have a few beers or something. We would get bored at night. So. We had a building that we had all our gear up in and we'd go in there and rehearse and play. And Mark and I would go there a lot often. Mm-hmm. I think we had a couple of beers at a local bar. We went down to the building and they're kind of jamming around. And I started playing that guitar riff. I know I had played it at home a couple of times, but mm-hmm. I had my Les Paul plugged into my marshals. It was one of those nights where it's the current of the gods, you know, it was mm-hmm. just sounding good and things were happening and, I started playing that riff and Mark started playing the drums. And so there was the intro. So we already had the intro with them, like, you know, a minute of playing it.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: think I just recorded most of it and let it alone. And then Jim and I got together and we wrote the beavers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the course is basically like the intro. So mm-hmm. we wrote the verse and the beavers. And then, uh, That's basically, it's not rocket science. I kind of felt my way around those things. And then I always had Mark. You know, Mark's a kick-ass drummer. Yeah. I always felt like we had a connection, like maybe Mark played more along with the guitar riffs than he did the bass guitar, Mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting. Yeah. If you think about it, most drummers are always hugging the bass. Mark liked those guitar riffs and stuff. And not oddly enough, it just hit me about, Two months ago, I was reading an article on Zeppelin, because I'm a big Zeppelin fanatic, and Mm -hmm. I love Jimmy Page for his creativity, and he said, Bonham played with the tips, he didn't slam drums, and the difference is he played with the guitarist
2: instead of
1: the bass, and I never really thought about it, but Mark was a huge John Bonham fan, Mm -hmm. probably the biggest I've ever met. So maybe he didn't even knew know what he was picking up on, but mm. we had that thing going on. So caught in a game, you can hear a lot of drums, guitar, yes. kind
0: of yes. playing
1: off each other.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I uh, That's, I think, why I love that song so much, is your riffing in there is just so powerful. And um,
1: That's nice to see. Yes. Thank I,
0: you for that. You I bet. I love that. that song. And it's largely, and it's because of your riff. Your riff and Dave singing in that chorus is just so killer it uh anyway i i could go on and on you
1: know we started to get a little bit and this is by nature you know bands change if you look at bands that did a lot of records we we're talking about let's just take a, a, a total exception or maybe let's take zeppelin they make what 15 records you know bands kind mm-hmm. of evolve mm-hmm. so it's not by some people like the target i call it I'm going to write like that. Oh, I want to be like that. Well, that doesn't really ever happen because it's not authentic. Mm-hmm. It's not sincere, but I think that if the bands align themselves just to be what they are and you're going to evolve, well, we started to get a little bit harder back then. Yeah. Our influences, what we grew up on started to now come through in our own playing, our own writing for better or for worse, you got to put all of that aside what we've listened to, what we're influenced by, and I don't copy it.
2: Yeah.
1: But I'm influenced by it. So caught in the game where we our influences were coming out more. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a rub because some of the guys in the band were in the bubblegum. Mm-hmm. Mark and I were listening to Led Zeppelin and the other guys, Jim was listening to Blood Sweat and
0: Tears. <laughs> I like no, them too. Cool. And I'm like, but it's different, yes.
1: Well me too, but I don't own one of the... well I do own one of the records, but I didn't I'm listening to Zeppelin. Deep Purple, Um, I'm listening to Blackmore Page, Jeff Beck, Clapton, and you know, they're listening to like Blood, Sweat, and Tears, and no offense, I don't know why I always have to make that loaded statement, I think because (laughs) the press twists had twisted a lot of what I said, but Mm -hmm. that to me was, I didn't get that, I understand talent, and Blood, Sweat, and Tears is is an exception, because they were amazing. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: David Clayton Thomas, when you hear that voice, you know it. But I was more interested in um, When the Levee Breaks or, uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or um, you know, the Baby's Head First record. There's a yes, great record. Yes,
0: good one. Yes. Yes. Yeah,
1: another Ron record. Another Ron add. record. Yeah. 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 So I was more leaning towards that stuff. And Jim okay. was more leaning towards the box, which yeah. are great, but it's not... Yeah, he was. So there was okay. a bit of a rub started to go on right then. Okay. But I always felt like why we can still write. Yeah. We can still make stuff our own. You yeah. know, I bring this in, you bring that in, and that's what we did. Caught in the game is a good example of that. Yeah.
0: Let me ask you kind of a hard question. Why not tour then with? Wh- why not tour now with Dave? He's out there. He's better. I d- I mean, let alone why can't Survivor come together? As the, as the three of you, plus whoever else wants to join, but like what's holding it back?
1: Well, you would have to define it to me. Mm. Um, although I'll answer any question. Okay. I would have I, to be able to science. I would have to be Christopher Lloyd in Back to the Future <laughs> and have to define what's it mean. Well, you know, because what? Because music is too, yeah. fr- well, hold on. Music okay. is too free form for that stuff. Mm. So you're talking if you meaning it meaning us the three surviving members surviving members
2: yeah
0: yeah i know you still tour as survivor and you have a lead singer who's a young guy why not no offense to the i don't no no
1: he's he's not just a lead singer he's killer singer
0: yeah yeah
1: he's evolved yeah he's been around three or four years he can sing like you know what Jamo used to tell me when he got a little bit, why don't you get a younger guy that kind of looks like me with his draw and sings like I do? <laughs> he did.
2: Yeah. yeah he did.
1: Yeah. Often. Okay. But he was more objective with that. But you know, that's I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stir on your question. So you wanted to know why we don't do it like Dave, myself, and Jim?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't really know. I don't think about that often mm-hmm. i don't know if i have in you know, years i don't really know what the answer is. well there's differences well for a singer it's an incredibly hard job mm-hmm. to be able to go out there and play dates you got to have the sails to do it you know the wind mm-hmm. and the sails are what and without having that it gets very hard mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. another thing where jameson always comes in handy because Because he would be a great backup on that. They have a really hard job.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Talk to Steve Perry sometime. He made it look easy. So did Jameson. They made it look easy. Listen, later on in Jimmy's life, he would tell you, that was not easy.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, they start dropping the keys of songs to where they sound like, geez, this is too row. You know, they, Mm -hmm. Jim Jameson was pretty upfront about that. Yeah. You know, that's when he started going, I don't know. There's probably younger guys. He was pretty good about it. Dave, hmm. how would I do this? I'm not a well, political guy. No, it's not a shame. It's life.
0: Well, it just seems like the three of you are out there doing separate things. And I know there's drama there, but this is the victory lap portion of your life. You put Survivor on well, packages I... with like sticks and Night Ranger and Foreigner and the you guys go out there, and you kill it, and you make millions. Now, I'm not saying you can't already do that, and you're probably filthy, stinking rich from Eye of the Tiger anyway, but this is like the victory lap portion mm-hmm. of your career. Let's go out, guys. Let's make some money. Let's let the drama you know, go in the past. This is our chance to just soak it up. We've worked hard for this. That's kind of how I view it, but it's not how it works. Well,
1: actually, it should be the way it works with any. Business or any band. Um,
2: yeah.
1: I think the rub becomes not between the people. I think the rub becomes inside the people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So if you've got a guy that uh, at one time said, Why can't I, why can't I sing Searches Over?
3: Mm-hmm. How can I convince you what you see is real? to blame you for doubting what you feel i was always reaching you were just a girl i knew i took for granted the friend i have in you i was living for a dream loving My star. Now I look into your eyes. I can see forever. The search is over. You were with me all the while. Can we last forever?
1: We fall this is in a, a when you're making the record, you got this new singer who. You know, we all have to be realistic. Jamo, Jameson, was amazing for that era. Mm-hmm. So for anybody else to even think they could sing that song on that record, which, by the way, was number one for, what, four or five weeks? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To me, it was kind of foreign. I don't know if I ever really wanted to buy into that. Okay. So I think that, that whole side of it is, it's, it's ego stuff, and I don't... Yeah. I wrestled enough with that, and I had a good teacher. I had a manager, and then I had Ron, and I I had my wrestle with that stuff, and I found out very early on, you know, that's... I don't know if I want to pay attention to that. I started thinking about that pretty early on. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah.
1: You have to understand, I'm a total team player. Hmm. You know, my aspirations outside of the band... I never had any until the band didn't do anything.
2: Hmm.
1: Well, Hmm. I think that's realizing the beauty of your life and the blessings of your life. To me, it is. And not so much riding the wave, but being a part of the wave you're riding, you know, participating in life rather than spectating. Mm -hmm. And I also think that repetition repetition doesn't really work with me that well.
0: Okay, okay. You don't like doing the same thing, answer. going out and doing the same thing every night. You like to keep it interesting.
1: If it's by the numbers, I revolt against it. I yeah. don't
0: want it. Yeah.
1: It's yeah. A, it's a, if it's by the numbers, it comes off that way. Yeah. And don't forget, we set the bar. I think we set the bar for this band on vital signs. Yeah. I yeah. think we did it again. I think I think when seconds count, in many ways, is as good.
0: actually like that album Bobby better, came. I think. Yeah. yeah, well
1: there, so you're a better judge. I don't like to be a critic of my own creation, mm. so to say, because we're hard enough on ourselves. True. We're people <laughs> that do, you know that. We don't need any help.
0: Right, right, <laughs> We it's hire true.
1: people and we like to surround ourselves with people that make it easier.
0: Yeah, I think When Seconds Count is my favorite Survivor album, actually, as a whole. That's interesting. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I love it.
1: Yeah, no, because we have similar tastes. I don't see past any of those records. In Mm -hmm. fact, my biggest disagreement with any and all the band members was, "What these are great records. We're doing the best work we can do, correct? Yeah, okay, well then, that's what we do. We just do the best we can do. And we're blessed enough we have these great people to come in and help us do what we do. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I'll speak for myself. I stubbed my toe so many times, it's still black and blue. But at the end of the day, I, was, I always had it in me to defer, you know, to use the management, to, to, uh, to listen to Ron or, or Frank Filipetti or whoever it was, and to defer. Even though there was a time I kind of said, no, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I think that the reality was, is I wish I could do that as good at that time. And then I think you have that moment of truth, so to say, no pun intended, where you say, this guy does what he does, and I do what I do. Now, if I stop doing what I do and want to do what he does, what I do doesn't have a chance of being as good.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I like mm-hmm. to stay focused.
2: Yeah. So we yeah. moved
1: on to get back to your question, because I, I, I'm not going to avoid it with Dave and Jim. To, to, mm-hmm. and moving on, going from... This is a hard question. I oh, know. No, it isn't. It's just that it's the way that it's stated or perceived. Going from Dave to Jameson was a game changer. Mm-hmm. And I feel that we did great work with both, undoubtedly. I think that the Tiger became part of pop culture because I think we did great work and I think it was time and I think it worked ter- terrific with the film and we were a great band hmm. I think when we got Jimmy Jameson we, we elevated ourselves because he had hmm. this ability to uh, how do I explain it uh, his voice soared
0: Yeah, he I get soared it. That's above the, that comes to my and, mind too yeah.
1: when we first played with him live I think one night Jim Peters says your eyes are moist i said you know (laughs) his voice forget the marshall's that his voice soars
2: yeah
1: i can understand this is important i can understand every word he sings clearly and he's powerful so you got a guy that looks great all the girls loved him you know his voice was his voice was powerful it soared plus we take this for granted but dig this i can understand every word he sings that's crucial. It's unusual. Yeah. So I would look at it like, well, I'm pretty much an open book, but what would am I going back there? I would have to take a, a different kind of, it has to do with self-respect I have to look at it in a different kind of light. Mm. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Good. Well, I had to ask, you know, we got to know. I don't um, mind what you ask. That's fine. Okay. It, Good. Now we try to touch on the business side of things uh, very sensitively on here, and I'm just you going. You don't have to
1: be sensitive. You can just let it fire. Okay.
0: Are you? You must be filthy rich from Eye of the Tiger. I'm just going to say it like that.
1: <laughs> well, I think my wealth is from my body of work overall. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: And then I think, and more importantly, it's from me being a good listener. And you could say, well, what does that? Well, it has everything to do with wealth. It has everything to do with maintaining it, maintaining it, attaining it, maintaining it, keeping it, and continuing it. My manager. To this day, I don't really do any kind of big deals unless he's involved. So that's going back. I sat in John's office in 19. Hold on a second. 1980. We had a number one record, so we're on the road with R.O. Speedwagon, uh-huh. right? And John Barrick is their manager. And I worship him because he's a great guy, never has a great reputation, never did any of those things that people get their bad reputations for. I'm asking him every week. This is a year and a half tour. Meaning a manager wanted to ban- manage a band? No. John, our record's number one. It's a great country you live in. Now, any other manager would have just grabbed us just to scam on us.
2: Mm hmm. Mm hmm.
1: I sat in his, I went to California to do this specifically. I sat in his office and finally the third day, you're going to sit there forever. I said, no, only until you agree to manage the band. So <laughs> early enough on, I realized that there are guys out there. So you got the Ron, which we making records or that type.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you got John, my manager.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, you need that. Yeah. Artists traditionally fight the system.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. You don't recognize those things. Oh, that guy was just, you hear a lot of, he's a slime bag. He's a scam. I never really had that, Mm -hmm. which I think is the biggest blessing in my not only career life, I've been surrounded by some terrific
0: people. Good. Smart. That makes a big difference, doesn't it?
1: I didn't know at the time if it was wisdom or if it was, we need a manager. Or if the other guys really didn't care and they had other guys in mind for their own reasons, or I I didn't know, but I realized the fact that if we don't have that, which is a manager to oversee it all in our lives, where do I go? Where do we go? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if the band was particularly fond about managers or getting a manager, but you know, it's, it's essential, Mm -hmm. but you have to be careful. And you know, I had the chance to observe our manager then enough to say, "This is a good man. yeah, this guy is different. This guy doesn't do any of the things we've heard about, and he doesn't Good to this day. yeah, so that was a big help. That's good. another overlooked that's another little survivor kid pearls <laughs> of wisdom overlooked our manager did I love it against against some pretty radical. You know, I, I witnessed things I wouldn't do. Radical back push. He managed to do a really great job. And for those of us who open our arms to that, have nothing to hide, you have to understand, speaking for myself, I had no ulterior motives or agendas. I just wanted to be the best guitar player, the best contributor, the best participator in the band. I didn't really care much about all these outside because things get noisy with success. Come write a song for me. Come do this. Come. Right. Before you know it, you're doing 20 things. Well, if I'm doing 20, I can't do the one as good as I can.
0: Good point. I yeah. Can't. yeah. 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 Um, okay. So good. Focus. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Let me ask one more question. This has been great. Thank you, Frankie. And it's so interesting to hear well, all the backstory the on all these songs that I love. I got one more, though. I want to hear the story about rocking into the night that you gave to 38 Special. told it yesterday. Oh, you did? Oh, well, tell him, I'm sorry. Yeah, you probably told, told it a million yesterday. times. Well, No, sorry I haven't. I, okay. haven't. I
1: haven't. Okay. I haven't told it a million times. Good. So we recorded that on our first record. That was Ron. Okay, so we recorded, I think, 15 tracks. Maybe we cut 16 and we finished 12 or 13, but I think back then only 10 could go on a record. Mm. You know, we had a couple long ones, and that was Ron's. This guy has to touch. Okay, he's going to eliminate the songs because we're all too close to him Mm -hmm. and it's better and that's why you have a producer. for Another reason, by the way, he'll do it. That way, none of us can be mad at each other. Mm -hmm. Everyone get mad at Ron, which I kind of didn't do, but others did. Mm -hmm. Ron said, this doesn't fit on the record. I kind of felt the same way. Three other guys threw a shit fit, but so this is hysterical. I got the I think Jeff Carlisi, I have to remember the story, but I know I had a cassette tape of a song on my pocket, a rough mix of it, and somehow he got a hold of it. Now, I don't know if they were working at the plant at the time in Studio B, because Cheap Trick used to be in there a lot. All I know is that they ended up covering it, and we didn't know until it came out, until it was about to come out. It worked for them. It did not work for Survivor. I still have that rough mixed version that Ron did
2: mm-hmm.
1: it didn't fit it didn't fit on his first record but see okay. then that's a whole other chapter because you have to remember that first record was six months long of let's I was so young I absolutely had no say it <laughs> that you know, that the first lineup well they were like four or five years older than me and I was 22 or something I had no say so I watched it all but what a great learning process. Mm. They meddled in what Ron did so much that he ended up quitting.
2: Mm. So, hmm.
1: oh yeah. Rebel Girl was not on his version of the record either.
2: Oh, good point.
1: Yeah. So yeah. I always just felt like after that record, I said, well, you know, maybe I should save more. Mm. There was a lot of complaining about Ron
0: going on. Really, I always
1: said with the, oh yeah, the first record he
2: quit.
0: Yeah, I mean, I knew that, I but uh, anyway, it seemed like by the time you guys worked together again, he had the magic touch, though, but maybe
1: not. By the time we worked together with Ron again, I was just insisting upon it, and so was John Berrick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I just said no, and this is it, because he's been, you know, I don't know that ever other guys minded. I do know this. I didn't care. Mm-hmm. You know, when we were making um, the premonition record. I used to drive over the hill sometimes. That's how I get to know Mickey Thomas, because he had just joined the Starship, Mm -hmm. and Ron was making the record with Jane on it. Mm -hmm. I remember hearing this track called, Holy Shit, This Is Good. And I sometimes play him. Isn't it unbelievable? I would sometimes and often play him stuff we were working on. He would say, well, you know, you can't, his old saying, you can't polish a turn, get rid of that one. Maybe focus on this one. So I think that without knowing it, there was a little bit of this is what you need. Mm. This is the the Master General. This is the guy that kind of does this in the studio. Mm-hmm. And then our manager, our manager was very pro-producer because producing your own band is a pain in the ASS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, they get mad at you. There's no there's no producer, so you're the one to get mad at the producer doesn't give a crap. Right. He's there to do his job. I mean, he cares, but it's not going to deter him from doing what he wants, what mm-hmm. he thinks is best for the music. So some bands, you know, they, they metal, you know what bands do. They complain.
2: Yeah, You
1: complain to the A&R guy enough. I said, this, I was talking about John Cloud and the guy told me this whole thing. He meddles. I said, are you done now? I said, that's all bullshit. There isn't a biggest music fan in the world. I know of than John. But if enough guys in the band start complaining about something and they get the ear of the A&R guy and keep complaining and pointing things out and he starts listening to them, well, you're sunk. Oh, yeah. So that's kind of what happened okay. on the first record. When I was 23, I was 23 and thinking, I don't have a say here and I watched it go down and I was kind of traumatized by it for a few months.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Well, it turned out to be a great record. All of them did. I don't think you guys made a bad record. Some are better than others, but none of them are bad.
1: Yeah. I well, you know what? If I had, if you've heard some of the rough mixes, I have um, mm-hmm. one song in particular, the first record, Whole Tom's Talking." Oh yeah. When Ron yeah, was sure at one. the helm, when Ron was at the helm, it is a totally different record. It's like a, a very commercial version of Head First. It's powerful. It it kicks ass. It's just a totally different record.
0: Mm. Wow. Yeah. So many things. Are you? I mean, I'm sensing a theme here. That well, you have to be able to go. You know,
1: by nature, you know, we bands. Not by nature, but there are bands. Some bands they like to. Metal. Okay, yeah. so now I don't like what the producer's doing to my song. Okay, well, first off, it's not yours, it's ours. And then, mm-hmm. well, I do like, you know, and then they, you start complaining to the A&R guy, and then the manager goes, why, what's wrong? You get this whole thing going on, and it has nothing to do with the music. Mm-hmm. It has to do with personalities and egos, and it's not, no, 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 I always felt like, no, 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 you work with. Yeah. And when you get the best let him do his best,
2: yeah yeah,
1: so I got to watch that okay. and observe it. and yes, I do have a lot of that first record on rough mixes, and it's a completely different record.
0: interesting, Wow. yeah, well, so many things that, you know bounce differently for survivor, and we're not talking today. I the tiger doesn't happen, can't hold back doesn't happen. You don't find JMO. I mean, there's so many things that had to happen just perfectly for your albums to be what they are for your career to be what they are for the finances to be what they are the right manager You know what I mean? Are you sensing that here? I Frankie? know what you mean. Yeah.
1: Oh, I, I live by it. Yeah. I think that I, I think that, um, I live by it. And I think that in my own personal way, this isn't from my soul, heart and soul, not my brain. Mm-hmm. I think that I've been able to capitalize on it most because by, even though I tripped, fell dusted myself up stumbled my stubbed my toe on oh I can do that a million times I think in the end that I I was able to recognize this is what I do best Mm -hmm. this is what he or she does best Mm -hmm. this is what John does best and by letting them all do their jobs and work together it's better for me and better for the whole
2: Mm -hmm. yeah
1: Good. As soon as yeah. I start going to, well, I want, I need, I mm-hmm. think, this should happen, then I go to an A&R guy, do this. To, after a while, I can get him to sway, but what am I inevitably doing? I'm destroying that, the specialness about it. I'm destroying those moments of can't hold back, um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: stuff is this love, the stuff we talked mm-hmm. about earlier. And yeah. I think that I may not have seen it as clearly at the time, but I think I played a role in, I erred, I made a grievous mistake, Come back and do this, and I think I played a role in the learning process of let Good. the professionals do what they do best.
0: You get it, you get it. Well, look, yeah. thank you, Frankie, for talking with me. I mean, if you can't tell, I've loved Survivor most of my life. I was nine years old You're when I saw. Well, thank you. I was nine years old when I saw Rocky III in Concord, California, with my friend Daniel Lehman. That's We've awesome. In line. And uh, ever since, but it wasn't, I mean, I was too young. Mm-hmm. I love that song, obviously, but it was when the Nevison stuff and the JMO stuff, that's when I started to pay more attention. That was the sweet spot of my musical, you know, upbringing or whatever. So anyway, Survivors meant a lot to me. for that, me. Well,
1: you know, then you and I share things because I feel that way about my own career, my own role, my own participation in my own life with the same. That's how I view it. Yeah. So I think that I've gotten a lot out of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The wealth is only an end result of kind of going with the flow. Having an opinion and a strong opinion doesn't mean you're not flowing with the energy. It Mm -hmm. just means you have a say and a big one. But at the end of the day, I think sometimes we can get caught up in our own heads and we can start to believe things that perhaps would be damaging to us and our career. So then you have a manager, you have a producer, you, 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 you talk to these people. Mm-hmm. They're not your rivals, they're not your competition, not your enemies. They're more important than that. They're more important than friends. They're your business people. Mm-hmm. So if you don't respect them, then you do them your, yourself a favor, do them a favor and get someone else. But mm-hmm. to stay in it and undermine it is a lot of what I see going on in the world. I don't agree with that. You you can stay in it and participate. You can stay in it and object. You can stay in it and state your opinion. You can stay in it and and go to the wall for your beliefs. But you cannot stay in it and secretly object. You You have a voice. It can be heard. But when you're wrong, you have to be able to step down from that soapbox and say, That guy's made how many killer records that guy's done. How great of a job at management, that guy is how good of a business manager. And when you just allow them to do their jobs within your world and how you live, it all has a much happier ending.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. Great advice to get out of the way. Leave
1: your ego behind. That's it. You know, you hear this cliche, check your ego out the door. It's such Mm -hmm. bullshit. It's the hardest thing in the world to do because it's human nature and I don't even think that's the right saying. I go back to what I just said. Just let the professionals do what they do. Mm-hmm. When know if you object, tell them. I always say, tell them one-on-one. It doesn't matter. Tell them in front of the band. I always found it better to talk with them because then I would understand. But don't sit in the background and throw uh, M&Ms at the back of their head. You're mm-hmm. undermining your own being and your doing and your creations, your songs, your bands, your career, your life.
0: Yeah. It's true. It's true. And it's it's good that you get
2: it. it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It all comes back to this though, man. Songs. That's where the songs come from. True. The heart, the soul, not the head. The head is, let me make it so when you listen to Is This Love, why is it different? Well, I told you, we're trying to be clever. Okay. It may it worked that time. But if I told you that it was one out of 10 times, the other nine times trying to be clever was trite and it failed
0: mm-hmm good point yeah that's interesting yeah <clears throat> yeah
1: well don't you agree people know what's so true. real and they know what's not real with music
0: it's so true so true yeah yeah
1: well i'm glad that you're a big fan you know i wanted to tell you when i first went to see rocky three i was naive but you know they played the song and the people in the movie theater stood up and clapped and then i said <laughs> wow <laughs> that was the moment i remember most
0: yeah isn't that amazing? That is, yeah, I'm and it still has the I same. It still, I, I the it was the Fourth of July. It was playing over the firework display I saw the other day. It plays at political rallies. There's not a, there's not a single. It plays at every sports thing. There's not a single, you know, rally celebratory group setting that isn't uh, where I the Tiger isn't appropriate to be played. Isn't that crazy? To me.
1: I think it is to be a, to be a part of it, much less a creator of that. To me, is is almost surreal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But at the end of the day, I was half of creating it. And back then, we produced things on our own, and I had a lot to do with it. But still, at the end of the day, it is absolutely surreal.
2: Mm-hmm. There's no doubt. Yeah,
1: it is. The song is like a caterpillar. It has more legs. It's <laughs> unbelievable to me.
0: <laughs> yes, that's it. <laughs>
1: But we're on, you know, we have to always remember this, though. Tony and Ben Scotty, the Scotty mm-hmm. brothers. People yeah, forget about them. Robert Kepper probably has a few things to say, but without them, there's no no easy way out.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true.
1: Which I still tell you should be the should have been the cut one off the off the Rocky IV soundtrack. But I'll <laughs> deny that under oath, and I don't usually <laughs> deny anything under oath. <laughs> it's a killer track. I mean, it's when the I best. first saw that whole. That whole mono, that whole trip, that that boom yes. shot with that song. I said, "This is flawless." Yes. I think I told him that. I think I said, "How?" I said, "Are you kidding me?" It's, it blew me away.
0: Yes, I know. Robert well, and I have had this exact conversation. Fan. It is the one of the best <laughs> movie montages in history. Perfect song, perfect moment, perfect, you know, energy level, editing. All of it works oh, together. Robert kills and it.
1: Starts it. With what we, he kills it, and it starts with what we all love most: a kick-ass killer snare drum. Yes, I love snare drum sounds. Well, here's a tsk, tsk, yes. what's this and doo doo. The bass comes and doo doo. I'm like, okay, I'm hooked. Yeah. I'm listening to it. Then I was watching it, going, well, "What do you think?" I said, "Well, how do you even answer that?" My emotions were kind of. I get fired up at great music. Let's yeah. cut one side. That should be the cut lead singer. Well, but you, okay, I'll be quiet then. <laughs> you know, but I get moved. No, that track moves me. It still it does. Can, but at that works. time, I was just, it blew me away. Yeah. I looked up Joe Chiccarello after that. Ciccarelli, the engineer, who had a really, really great career as a great engineer. I looked him up after that to tell him. Yeah. Never met Robert Tepper though. Oh, you tell you him for me. I will. That's a kicking ass track.
0: I will. I will. That's great. I'll email him right yeah. now. Yeah, uh, tell anyway, him. Anyway, I will. All righty. Thank you, Frankie. Okay, you're the best. Well, you're Thanks welcome. Thanks for chatting with me. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. All right. There you have it. Frankie Sullivan. I really enjoyed that. He's a sweet guy. Really sweet guy and good-natured, and he he and I just had a good chemistry. Thank you again, Frankie, for talking with me. That really meant a lot. Uh, I wanted to close it out with this is one of the lesser known songs it's off that Too Hot to Sleep album which I think came out in 1990 which was sort of past the peak Burning Bridges this song rocks rocks so hard harder than anything I think Survivor's ever done and Frankie's the guitarist on this I love this song I rediscovered it when we did a six pack of Survivor on the Paws and Sods network me, Jace Pollock, and Eric Miller so if you have not heard that go find that, that's fun too Anyway, next week, we're going to go, as I've said, we're going back and forth between an artist and a producer, artist-producer. So next week is a producer. It's a not a household name, but this person was very instrumental in the alternative scene, especially in the UK, in the 80s, and forming the sound that would go on to be the signature sound of bands that you know very well. So I hope you'll come back for that. You may not know the guy's name. Maybe you do. If you do, you're going to love it. But if you don't, you will appreciate a lot of the bands that he helped find their sound. Okay? Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Malkiewicz. Thanks, buddy, for doing this with me. Uh, as you guys know, you can find our page on Facebook. You can like it. You can send us an email at hustlepot at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at The Hustle Pod. We should have a bonus episode of some sort coming out later this week. We've got a deep dive in the works and a very special bonus episode with another producer that isn't gonna fit on a Tuesday, so we're gonna put it out on the weekend. So one of those is likely to come down the pike later this week, okay? Thanks everybody, we love you.